you know, you, you look back into the 1970s and think a grain, a grain grower in the Wimra actually producing their own brand of, of their product would just be completely, you'd be cut off to a mental asylum. It just would not be a, a, a possibility, but now you're starting to see it. So that, that's the evolution. G'day and welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast in collaboration with the Royal Agricultural Society of Victoria. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and over the next 11 days, we've got something pretty exciting in store. The Royal Agricultural Society of Victoria, or RASV, has proudly presented the Royal Melbourne shows since 1855. It's Victoria's largest and most iconic annual community event, attracting more than 450,000 visitors and contributes more than $244 million to Victoria's economy each year. Due to the impact of COVID-19, the Royal Melbourne show was cancelled this year for only the third time in its 165-year history. After what has been an incredibly testing year for many people, we are very excited to be celebrating the Royal Melbourne show online this year. Over the next 10 days, you'll be hearing stories from a range of people who are all actively involved in the show, and some of them for nearly 50 years. Today I'm chatting with Ed Gannon, the editor at the Weekly Times. He's also the publisher for News Corp Rural. He's been involved with the Royal Melbourne show for many years, particularly as the MC and host of the Agribusiness Luncheon. Today we're going to find out a bit more about Ed's story. From growing up on a dairy farm at Tanambra in Gippsland, he went off to university in Melbourne. By chance, back in 1990, he was walking past the Weekly Times office and they had a job advert on the window. Ed walked in, interviewed, and a couple of weeks later he was working at the Weekly Times. Without the chance to have the agribusiness luncheon this year, I thought I'd better take the chance to ask Ed some questions that I had on my mind that I reckon would be worthwhile discussing this year. I asked him about what 2020 has taught him about journalism, how the gathering of stories and that information process has changed. We chat about some of the significant moments. One of these was particularly for Ed, seeing the evolution of stories into real change. On the topics of the agribusiness luncheon, I wanted to get Ed's views on things like climate change, regenerative agriculture, labour issues, and the role of technology and people today and into the future. Particularly, it's Ed's comments about the role of the show and how it's changed with the times. I found these incredibly insightful, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast, Ed. No worries, Ali. Just wanting to, to start off, it's been a very up and down years, been a lot of highs and lows. And I suppose the fortunate thing for the ag sector, particularly this year, is that it is, uh, the season is looking incredibly good. How have you been finding 2020 at a personal level? Oh, look, it's like everyone, I suppose. It's a, it's a challenge on a personal level. I've got, uh, I've got kids doing year 11 and year 12 and uh, having to work from home. And um, so, you know, they're, they're working alongside me, which we never thought would happen in a, in a uh, office slash school room. Um, but, yeah, it's been a, a challenge. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we've been home um, now since March. I've been home since March. Uh, working so that it's just ticked over six months. So that's um, something I never thought that we'd um, ever do of um, producing the weekly times from uh, from locations all over the place, including the shed in my backyard. <laughs> and uh, are you thinking of a late late career switch to being a teacher, or are you pretty happy to leave that one off the table? No, well, luckily they're in year eleven, year twelve, so I don't have to pay much attention. I wouldn't understand what they're doing. They're doing science courses too, so I wouldn't have a clue what they're talking about. 
Oh, geez, no, nah, steer clear of that. <laughs> <laughs> and so how's it been, yeah, from, from the journalist angle this year in terms of, I'm guessing you guys have worked remotely over the years anyway with, with journalists all over the place, but how have you guys adapted to that? Yeah, we've always had regional reporters who are based mainly around um, parts of Victoria, but also to interstate. Um, so they've always sort of operated along these lines, but but not with the restrictions that we've got in in the sense of reporting on events. One of the things I've really noticed this year is that the lack of things like field days and shows, of course, um, so conferences, seminars, um, just gatherings of people where people get together and uh, and talk about things is where you where you get a lot of stories from. You might you might you know, might get a story from someone giving a presentation at a seminar, but it's when you're talking to someone at lunchtime that day that they might give you another story to go to. So, and things like um, uh, sale yards have become a real um, hard um, area for us too because the restrictions are put on the people who can access and we have been able to get into some sale yards and some sale yards have, have said no. Um, and again, they're a great source of information, not just in the results, but also to the, the conversations that happen around the place. So that, that, that's one really um, strong thing we've noticed is the sort of the, the different avenues we have to, to go to, um, to, to make sure we're, we've got our ear to the ground with stories and, uh, and that's involving a lot more, a lot more phone calls because you just can't get out to farms. I mean, it's the, um. It's, it's the great truism of, of journalism, particularly rural journalism, is that you will go and have a interview someone on their farm and uh, finish the interview, and then it's the walk from the, the house back to the car or the shed back to the car where they actually tell you the real story. And, um, and, and it's really hard to get those sorts of things on phone. So they're the sorts of challenges that we've been, we've been seeing. Yeah. And do you, do you see it changing, I suppose, longer term? Is, is, this, is there changes now with ag news or, or with rural news that will, will stick or do you think it's kind of just um reiterated the importance of getting face-to-face to really understand these stories yeah it re- reiterated i mean there's a there's the procedural way we work and that's you know whether working in an office or whether you're working at home and those, those sorts of things will will change and there'll be a mix of that but the actual gathering of stories and 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 getting the best information, it really has pushed home the fact that you actually do need to to, to talk to people. You do need to go out to farms. You do need to go to sale yards. You do need to go to, to field days and to shows to talk to people, to get a sense of, of what's going on because that, that that's when people talk. Talking, talking on a phone is a very... A very formal way of doing things, although you can have a, a, a really good chat, but you don't get the aside. As, as you know from, you know, nearly everyone's you know, doing Zoom meetings and those sorts of things. You don't, you don't get those aside chats in those sorts of things. So you don't get exposed to those sorts of, um, those sorts of leads for stories. And so flipping, flipping back, you joined the Weekly Times back in 1990. What was it that attracted you towards journalism? Or did you, whereabouts did you grow up and... Well, I uh, I grew up in um, in Gippsland, um, a place called Tanamba, um, so between Maffer and Hayfield, from on a dairy farm, and uh, I had um, I'd done a de- degree in um, in communications, and uh, and and that actually the end of the um, uh, end of that uh, degree, we did a bit of um, study into the media, which I really really liked, and I, I actually I was a typical typical boy or typical male who came good at uni in the last semester, the last term of the last semester. And um, I had to start to pay attention, and uh, and then I um, and uh, really journalism was never an option for me until the day I walked past the the Herald and Weekly Times building, and I remember seeing an ad um, the previous week I really hadn't paid much attention to for a um, young journalist 
uh, a graded journalist for the weekly time. So I just actually walked past and, and said, oh, I uh, went in and I asked and they sent me around to the weekly times and the, and uh, the chief of staff who greeted me and said, look, you know, the editor's free now at the moment, if you want to go and have an interview. So I went in and had an interview on the spot and, uh, and then wrote, wrote a couple of things for them. And a couple of weeks later, I got offered a job. So it was, um, it was so I, I sort of fell into journalism a bit at the time, but I was, so I think I was, I think I was heading in that direction anyway, by that stage. And, and what is it about journalism that, that you love? Like doing the same thing, well, yeah, versions of the same thing for 30 years. What is it that keeps you inspired with it? Yeah, it's not, yeah there, is, there is versions of the same thing because you, particularly the, the Weekly Times here, as a print product, you're on a weekly production cycle where you, the, you get the paper out each Wednesday. So that's, you know, that, that is there. But no week's ever the same. No, no story's ever the same. And... No issues ever the same, and also too we do we we do a lot more things than 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 that's that, that weekly product. I mean we do magazines. We produce actually um, Ag Journal, which is the biggest um, biggest magazine that News Corp is producing at the moment, which goes into all the um, the daily um, mastheads and the Australian, and uh, so those sorts of challenges. But then there's digital. I mean the, the you know I, I I came on deck in 1990, and then I I, I spent about four and a half years or five years at the, the Herald Sun there for a while before I came back to the Weekly Times. And, and that, that time was when the internet was sort of just, just starting to emerge. So we've always had that bubbling in the background until we've seen the explosion in the last decade or so. And then, and then the, the iterations of what digital has, has meant for us, the, the challenges it's given us, but also to the, the opportunities it's given us to us, particularly for a for a weekly paper like the Weekly Times, and we saw it as a as a huge opportunity for us to to um, tell stories in every day of the week rather than just once a week. So that that's been a um, a huge thing for us. So you know, every day is different. Every day has its challenges, but every day sort of has its victories. But then again, one of the, the great things, and which is which is back to our former point, is the, one of the, the great things about our job is the people you deal with um not just with our within ourselves as you know i work for, work with really 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 good people but the people we deal externally with that we that we see and we talk to and we've made contacts with and made friendships with and and um you know have those um chats so we would we, we can um we can do that in, in journalism journalism is a great job job if you like to talk to people and uh and and that's probably one of the things that's um that journalism and reporters um want to do it but also too you you, you do make a um uh, in some cases, you, you you make a difference with the the stories you do. You do sometimes see change that comes from your stories, and and and, and change for people that you've written stories about, which is which is really really um satisfying part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I've i saw that, and it's a bit of an aside, but just up with humans of agriculture and like what I'm doing, like literally just sharing stories of people. And there's a massive confidence thing I think with young people about sharing their story. But I saw um a, a few weeks ago. One of the people I did a little story on just who they were. They're a governess in Queensland and um, they like, shared it. And just the amount of positivity that comes through when someone shares their story and speaks about themselves is just incredible. And it's really exciting to see. But on that point, have you got a favourite story or memory um, from the last 30 years? <laughs> or maybe not a favourite, just one that stands out. <laughs> oh. Look, you know, there's, there's, there's varying levels of it. I mean, there's things that we've covered, I know, that, that 
that you look back and think, well, that was really um, a good thing to do. One of, one of the things we did, and I was, I was deputy editor the, at the time at the Weekly Times, and uh, and we did a lot of work on um, country of origin labelling of fresh produce. And at the time, the supermarkets didn't have any labelling on anything, and we really pushed that issue. Um, and so to see that change the rules change on that was, was a really satisfying one for us. Um, you know, one of the issues that we've, we've looked at is, um, is being <coughs> the debate over ATV or quad bike safety. And, um, it sort yeah. of stemmed, stemmed from a story that, um, an experience that one of our reporters had on her property in Southern New South Wales and, and, and to see the sort of the evolution of, of that. Um, look, you know, there's a, a lot of, what, what I, I got a lot of satisfaction seeing, um, reporters, um, particularly young reporters, coming along and and getting hold of an issue and really chasing that issue, and realizing that you can actually chase a story and, and make a difference. So look, you know, we we you know I've been involved in thousands of stories over the journey. Um, you know, some have been really um, satisfying to me personally, but more I'm a bit more satisf- I'm sort of more satisfied, and I, I always I was. So to go back to that, um, sometimes I hear that quote from AFL coaches and talk about when they're the coach, um, the premierships are, are often um, more satisfying than when they were the player and they won a premiership as a player. And that's how I feel sometimes too with the sort of things that we do. Um, you know, when I see a really good story that's been done by a reporter who's developed themselves and have helped and we've worked together and helped them along. That's the they're the sort of they're the, the highlight stories that you you sort of feel. Yeah, yeah, that's um that's cool. And in terms of this year, like... Hey, it's Nick here, Sheep Farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. I think I've seen it on Twitter and obviously the the rural papers this year have taken a a hammering with being able to keep the doors open. Has there been like, what's the path ahead for rural news? Is it through these, these larger papers like yourself or, or where do these smaller kind of, yeah, local yeah. town papers sit? Yeah. Look, it's uh, the, the community, the, the smaller papers from smaller towns, they rely very heavily on, on community news and, and I mean, rural, rural news as we define it is, is things around farming and agriculture and rural issues, whereas they're, they're more of the community issues that are happening and they are, it is the, the, the councils and the, and the crashes and, and those sorts of stories and sports results and those sorts of things. It's the sort of stuff that we don't do a lot of, but we do, dip in every now and again but we sort of have a sort of a wider picture um th- those sorts of things are really being knocked about by um uh social media um that that community news and i and i see a lot of those um sites that that uh, f- um, 
evolve that do that instantaneous news from you know it's been that that um, sounding post that you you um, you know gathering around the village square back in you know a thousand years ago people sitting around talking about things and it's sort of that's what's happened there which has affected a lot of those um those smaller um, papers and, and and outlets but also to advertising wise for things like um real estate and cars and those things have gone over to to the bigger um uh, websites that, that handle those sorts of things. So that's sort of taken a lot of those sorts of things away. So, so that, that's where their real, their struggle comes from. We, we also do be challenged from things like our classifieds and, and those sorts of um, things. But we, we, we had to, we'd probably try to head down a more unique path because we're sort of more in uh, an industry level and, and look at the bigger picture, but also to things like rural property. We, we can talk about a rural property um, that's in New, New South Wales or Queensland um, and bring it to a wider audience through the internet, through our website. Um, and those sorts of stories do really well too. And, um, you know, we, we've moved to a, a subscription model for um, for our website, um, which is, is ticking along and it's really ramped up in the last sort of um, you know, six months to 12, 12 months or so. So, you know, th those sorts of models help us with our, the way we can um, structure our business and, and, and you know, fund fund our journalists. So we're a slightly different model too, but everyone's got their challenges. But, like, you know, the, the, the smaller ones are really... Um, it's that um, advertising model that really then affects their news model, which is um, a real concern. Yeah. No, nah, it's interesting. It's, um, it's funny, isn't it? Like people want things straight away. And that's where like the online editions of the weekly times is you're getting a feed of the news constantly, as opposed to waiting a Thursday and blocking out an hour of your time to sit down and read the paper. It's just can be yeah, as simple as starting your morning, scrolling through, the Facebook or page and, and you see what's relevant and, and off you go. Yeah, it is. And then that's, and that's, we, we, we found we've got two, two beasts, so to speak, online and print and they complement each other. We still have a really strong print audience and, and an audience that really wants that, the, the time to actually stop and to, to go through it. Um, yeah, and and in newspapers you always talk about serendipity, and it's the the, the 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 fact you turn over a page and you don't know what's going to be there, and there's a story that oh, I, there's an interesting story I never, I never thought I'd been, um, never thought about that before, I never thought I'd you know read a story like that before, but there it is because someone's put it there. Whereas the internet is very much a look, I'm searching for the things that I, I I'm interested in. So sometimes it comes a bit of a a monoculture that you can just find the topics in it, but we we find that we can cater for both of those audiences um, that that here and now audience and then that that weekly audience who want that as well yeah definitely and so in terms of you obviously when it comes to the Royal Melbourne show I've been lucky enough to attend a couple of times but you uh, you MC the agribusiness luncheon and, and have for a number of years how what would what would have this year's luncheon looked like if, if it was going ahead what what would have been the topics that would have been discussed? <laughs> Who'd know? China. Like, you know, you know, I mean, <laughs> no, but, yeah, but China, but then China, we, we, we possibly may not have been in this issue with China at the moment if the COVID situation hadn't come across and then Australia quite legitimately asked for an independent inquiry as to the origins of it and how it, how it developed. And that's where a lot of our trade issues have come from. So if we didn't have coronavirus, we may not have had the China focus that we may have had. I mean, as you said at the start of this year, at the start of this podcast, 
the the seasons that the season that we're having in agriculture at the moment is is fantastic. is is such a good time for agriculture, and the um, you know after such crook years in a lot of Australia, and there's still parts of New South Wales and Queensland are really struggling still at the moment. But there's huge parts of Australia that have had really good rain. Um, you know, we're sitting in um, September and with a lot of uh, places, uh, particularly in New South Wales, have had more than their annual rainfall, average annual rainfall already. So, so that, that, that's a, a, a good story in itself. Now, talking about the weather at an agribusiness lunch is, is good <laughs> and well. But um, I look, it, it then possibly, um, you know, with, without coronavirus, I think you're probably conversation would have been a different one in relation to you know, one of the things that the people, that the industry set for agriculture set for himself is, is um, you know, production of um, farm gate production of 100 billion a year. Now we've sort of been sitting, sitting around 60 billion for the last you know, five years or so. Um, if, if coronavirus hadn't come along, we, we may have been talking about the, the huge leaps and bounds that we could have possibly made in the last 12 months and then Look, talked about what was what would be the final run home for the next 10 years or so, but we're still, you know, we've been affected. Our trade has been affected, although agriculture's done really well um, compared to a lot of other industries. But, you know, it, you, the situation may, may have looked very different at that point. But, yeah, look, you know, coronavirus has just dictated everything. That it's, it's, it's almost impossible to imagine what would what would we be talking about if we didn't have that that cloud hanging over the top of us. Yeah. And so as part of this, like I'm, I'm keen to like, I suppose getting access to you is exciting in terms of just the topics of the here and now, but one that hasn't really gone away is this discussion around climate change and greenhouse gases and whatnot. But over the last say 10 to 15 years, and from someone who sees a lot of, the rural sector's view of it. Like, how have farmers' views around climate change varied over the last few years? And where do you think kind of Australians well, sit on that? Yeah, look, I, I think I mean there's a, there's a there's a conversation that happens at a at a federal level, a Canberra level, and it sort of goes around and around in circles on farms. People have been adapting to what they do for you know as, lo as long as we've farmed um, in Australia and you know in, in the world, and you can see that in you know take Victoria for example, the the grain um, uh, industry and the the move south for the grains industry, and you know whereas once you had you know, the the western district of prime sheep country, now a lot of that is is cropping country. Then you look at um, things like the issues in relation to the um, Golden Valley and the, <clears throat> that that northern dairy area and the the water issues in relation to there um, and you know a lot, a lot of let's talk about the Murray Darling Basin plan but also too there is a, there's a climate factor in there for sure so um, so they've had to adapt to that of how they how they run it and and so you see a lot of um, uh, daring operations moving to different parts of the parts of the um the state and parts of australia um you see things like queensland beef producers now looking at um buying properties down south so they can mitigate um their drought strategies you see you know um, vegetable production moving into tasmania because they can see and even wine production because they can see that the uh, the change in climate change so 
so while, while there's still um, backwards and forwards and, and you know, so, and in some parts of the, the world about, you know, talking about is climate change real or not, the, the, the real decisions are being made on farm and that's people adjusting because they can see um, the, the years are getting drier and you can see the way the pattern pattern is working and they're having to adapt so at the end of the day the, the best litmus test of anything is is what do you actually do on the ground and and, the, and that change is being made yeah now it's interesting and i think oh, i had a message i woke up to a message from someone this morning around like regenerative agriculture and it's one that i'm still so on the fence with in in where where it comes from because to me like i've got mates who um, a monocropper, uh, monocroppers, but they have ground coverage year round and they, they obviously use synthetic fertilizers and, um, chemicals, but the practices which people talk around, around regenerative agriculture, which is ground cover, um, healthy soils that what, where do you sit on, on that kind of piece? And, and is it just good farm management that's been happening for years? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, and, you know, we, we look at the, the, the whole issue of no-till um, cropping and, and those sorts of things about, and it's all about preserving the soil, preserving the moisture, preserving the soil. Um, and, and I don't think um, yeah, um, anyone deliberately um, has, has employed a strategy that's then seen half their tops all blow off in the mallee and end up in Melbourne like it did in the, in the 1980s. So but there, there was... It's to do with the, um, the the technology and the tools that you have that enables you to do this, and, and the research that's been done. So that, at that point, there wasn't a lot of research and and um, an ability to understand where it was because of because that we can do now. So it, those things evolve, um, and you know, regenerative agriculture and, and those sorts of um, terms, in some ways, are a bit a bit redundant because they're just they are the next iteration of of what we're doing and it's a, and it's the evolution of um of farming i mean look and i look at um at, at um where um daring where i come from i mean the iterations of the 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 the, the actual milking sheds and, and you know from uh, uh, um, walkthroughs to herringbones to dairies and then the size of dairies now and the the, the, the way they operate and then the you know we've, we're in irrigation area so that the, the actual configuration of the, air, the land for um, efficient water use is just it's just chalk and cheese between say now and you know the 1970s so th those things evolve um, and they get new titles and they get get um, um, and the people hook onto and say look we're the, we're the vanguard of this but really it's, a lot of it is, is evolution and a lot of it is then is, is then understanding and acceptance because I mean, one of the things is is farmers is that um, a lot of people don't like putting their, their hand up and say, look, we're, I'm going to buck the trend and be different. Um, so it does take a little while for, for the waves of these things to come through for people to be to, to see the benefits and say, oh, it's not, they're not just mad. There's actually something going on there and it happens. So look, there, there, there is a bit of that, but you know, the, the, every generation's going to find out something new, um, have better tools and better information at the hand and make and make decisions that perhaps previous generations were, were unable to make because of those limitations. Yeah. And I think that's what the, the technology side of things is so exciting because well, shit, when I finished school, um, like the iPhone hadn't even come out and then yeah, in 11 or 12 years, like just how quickly the world's progressed and the biggest companies are now those with data. It's obviously ag we've, we've got 
our challenges with, with that uptake, but at the same time too, look, once these tools are implemented, um, the progression for ag is incredibly exciting. And, and the ability now to, you know, a lot of the stuff that do is so, so labour intensive and then be able to use technology for that sort of thing. I mean, we are, we're still looking at the utopia of them, um, you know, a drone going out and, and herding the cows in and bringing them in and, and you know, checking this and checking that. But the idea is that the, the execution's not quite there yet, but it's being worked on. And, you know, with things like robots um, going around and selectively spraying weeds and, and those sorts of jobs, um, you know, there's still refinement to go. But, but, yeah, we would have looked at you know, 40 years ago and, and said, There's, what are you talking about, a mobile phone? You know, there's no way in the world you're going to have that sort of thing. It was only something you'd see on cartoons. So those, that, they, they do happen and that progression. And so, yeah, um, I mean, one of the issues and we haven't even touched on is technology then works hand in hand with the, the issues in relation to labour. And you know, labour's a really big issue, as we see with the, the coronavirus and, and um, the, the debate that's going on about where we're going to get this labour force for um, for the picking season, and because of the backpackers and and the and the, the push to get those people on job seeker to actually go out and do it, which is it's 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 a, it's a completely different set of circumstances for someone you know in a Sydney or a Melbourne as distinct from a backpacker from Spain um, over here, um, a transient six-month or 12-month jaunt around the country who can do it. So there's a million other issues, but technology is, is attempting to look at how can, we, how can we fix those problems in relation to it. Technology, then again, produces issues in relation to community. Um, if you get to the point where your technology takes over every function on a farm, I mean, what, does that, what does that do for communities? For the size of farms, the number of people on farms, the size of the, the number of families in a community, even the number of families at the school, the number of customers at the local supermarket, those sorts of issues. So, you know, there's one thing leads to another with these sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm glad you touched on the labour piece because it's a funny one, isn't it, where we've got the, the big issue right now is actually we don't have labour as opposed to the, um, that robots and automation is going to take our jobs. And then the fundamental piece is you still need these key decision makers and you can look at the technology that's there that can um, map pasture growth and everything else, but you still need to have that subjectiveness and the knowledge of the seasonal variations and how a sheep looks and, and all these different kind of interacting pieces, which I suppose are, are actually data, but it actually comes back to how a person can interpret it and then make management decisions based off that. Yeah, we hear the word data so much nowadays, but there is exactly that. You can have all the data in the world, but what do you do with it? How do you actually yeah. use it? That's the issue. And I don't think I don't think they still quite worked work out how how to do that. You know, we, we we hear issues in relation to big tractor companies getting the data from the machinery that, that they sell you. And they keep it, and then you know, and who owns it, and what, and then what do they do with it? How does it work? And you know, does it lead to lead to better machines that they create, or you know, are they um, um, somehow looking at where, where they're going to send different types of machines because of the type of work's being done in different countries? And then how does the farmer actually use that? So look, data is is huge, and I mean, we use it in our in our role of journalism that we never would have done before. A, a in finding stories, B in looking at how 
how stories perform in relation to audience and subscriptions and, and interactions that people have with them. So, yeah, you, you use data, but no, group, no use just having a great ocean of data there in front of you and not, not quite sure what to do with it. That's the, that's the real issue. Yeah, definitely. And I think so while we're on the topic of people as well, and so the purpose of the Royal Melbourne show is really about showcasing agriculture and bringing the country and city together. And I think, uh, so as part of this series, we're chatting with six different people who come from the exhibiting ring to obviously you, uh, to, to young people that have joined some of these committees and have taken up opportunities with the Royal Agricultural Society of Victoria. But around people, I know the purpose of the show is to bring the country and city together but are they achieving it or or is this is there more to be done in this space yeah it's um it's an interesting point um the 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 city country divider i was talking to someone the other day that the the um we've spent so long in in the in recent or yeah, the last twenty years, I say trying to bridge the, the city country divide, and I think in the middle of COVID, I think the city, the country is very happy to have the divide between <laughs> the city and the country. So, um, so they, they actually probably better backtrack a bit on that. But um, yeah, look, it, 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 it is, um, and the show show sort of um, uh, evolved. Um, certainly, um, it, it, you know, the, bring the the country to the city and to show people. But it was also too was was very much a much more a commercial aspect to it, um, and that's when you know there, there would be huge classes in the Marinos, huge classes in the in the um, Frisians, huge classes in the Herefords that that you would um, competing against well-known studs um, uh, and really big studs um, across the state and across the country, and to win a ribbon was such a big marketing tool for you now with the advent of technology and, and the advent of um, uh, objective measurement for um, commercial animals, that, that that aspect of it has certainly changed. Um, to now that the show is, is, is and, and that's just quite clear, is it is a exhibition of um, the types of animals and the types of produce that you see um, that we produce in the country and how it goes about and, you know, where, where does milk come from and that sort of thing. So I think that the, the refinement of that um, uh, understanding of the evolution by the RASV of where that is and also to the, 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 the absolutely fantastic job they've done in relation to things like the beer awards, the wine awards, the fine food awards, those sorts of things. Have then said right. Here's the here's the, the the raw production aspect, so to speak, of of um, uh, cattle um, and you know the produce that you have and you know the, the, the fruit and veggies and that sort of thing. But then here's the finished product, and this is what it actually produces. And then make a make a real highlight of that, which they've done just such a really really good job of. So um, yeah, I think that that there's there's still on the They've had to change. I mean, they've been like, you know, a bit like me. You know, we've had to really change our whole model around but to continue to stay exactly, to, to, to have a goal and keep going for that goal, um, but refine it. And I think the, the, the shows have done that by not so much the competition aspects, but it's more the exhibition aspect of it and, the, and then the, the bit more education and the learning aspect of it. Yeah, it's interesting. So do you think, 
And I love the piece where it is that we're seeing this mold of where people are obviously in the city. It's where the majority of our populations are, but they're interacting with food. And now we're starting to see these linkages back through to farming. And, and it's where the, the Royal Melbourne show fits in perfectly as you you've said, but so do you think that the next couple of years, that is the real opportunity for agriculture farming more broadly to really build up on that, uh, like the beer awards and the food awards and continue that education and engagement piece. Yeah. It's, it's those aspects of, um, uh, farming that can produce their own label. And we've always seen it in wine. You know, wineries always had their own label and their cellar door. And so they could make a, 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 a big effort in relation to marketing. And, and that was pretty much it. And we sort of never really got, for a long time, that's all it was. To the point now where you start to see, like, um, dairy, the amount of dairy in relation to... I mean, if you look at the, the amount of artisan butter manufacturers that we see nowadays across Victoria. You're you hard to find one anywhere. Now, there'd be dozens of them, mm. not to mention cheese. Um, Beef was just a bulk commodity. So you'd just um, um, breed up and sell them as wieners or else you'd fatten them up and then sell them to the, you know, the prime market, um, never to be thought of again. Um, but now that the amount of beef labels that people have themselves that actually um, slaughter to order and package them up with great brands, great reputation, great websites. Um, and then the next day, now we're starting to see is grain whereas grain has been the ultimate bulk commodity. But now you're starting to see people, let's actually start, get together, let's actually look at what we can do. And (laughs) grain has discovered that, you know, that um, the greatest product ever invented in mankind of beer. And say, well, let's hook our train because beer uses our our product and it's the most saleable and marketable product there is. So let's, let's get on board with that. And the amount of... Grain producers now that are starting to have an association with beer labels, whether they're own or with someone mm. that actually claims it, it, it's theirs. So, you know, and there's things, you know, we, we did um, uh, brands like Dad's Oats and the, 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 the family farm that actually started making an oats out of their own product and, and marketing them. So, which again is another thing. And, and it's that marketing aspect that's then attracting the, the next generation of farmer to be working on it so it's farming but it's also team marketing and how do you do that so you know you, you look back into the 1970s and think a grain a grain grower in the Wimbra actually producing their own um brand of of their product would just be completely you'd be cut off to a mental asylum <laughs> just, just, uh, it just would not be a, a a possibility but now you're starting to see it so that's that's the that's the evolution of of from from a showing of the Herefords to then now having a brand from your Herefords of a, a beef brand that you then sell direct to the public, which then is something that you can promote. Is then is something then you can enter into an award. So that that's the evolution of it, is rather than the the the, the raw product, so to speak, so to speak, as the animal or the beast or the the grape or the, you know, the, the wheat is in what is the product and then how do we promote that product? So that, that's, yeah. the, that's the evolution we're saying. It's not everyone because it's, it, it's, it's time 
intensive it's labor intensive it's you know it's it's you've got to put dollars and cents into to marketing and it's which is really hard when there's you know stuck in a drought um yeah. but you're seeing that and you're seeing people um are really making an effort and some really good stories and they're the, and they're really good stories we see um mm-hmm. that, that um uh you know the pulse industry we just did an egg journal just recently up in the around rapanyup and around horsham and it's incredible um um, stories that they're doing from what would just been a a, a, a bulk commodity, um, uh, you know, even, uh, that, that was even before they even just, just sort of went into the pulse industry, which is then considered really exotic, and uh, and then then building up brands from there. So, so yeah, that that that's the that's the evolution we're seeing in relation to over the say like the last thirty years since I've been reporting on these issues, but it's tracked then. The evolution of how show societies like the RESV have been able to adapt and to change and and to uh, to be part of that mix. Yeah, and I think look, the fact that the show gets five hundred thousand people, like it, it's an incredible opportunity to put ideas and promote agriculture to people who otherwise probably would never come across a farmer in their time. And so I think. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. You've sparked a few creative thoughts, which probably isn't a very good thing for the morning because now my day, my day is just going to be distracted with thinking of ideas. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And so... Yeah. And, and, and on that point, I mean, the, the, the show is a huge event as a customer event. As yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, true, a lot of people go to buy show bags and go on rides, but I can actually... Proudly say I've never been on a ride at the showground at the show, despite all the many years I've been there. We might have to start a campaign for next year. <laughs> I bought a lot of show bags, but um, <laughs> but everyone who does go there will, will always go and have a look at, even if it's even if it's just the, the animal nursery. But they'll wander through the sheds and see the, the cattle, and they'll see the sheep, and they'll go through the the, the areas that they'll see the craft. I mean, that's, the crafts are fantastic. And they'll see those exhibitions. Um, so they'll get a sense of the, the sorts of things. But then they'll go to you know, the, the um, MasterChef um, area and sort of see the, the sorts of foods that are, being, that are being produced. So they'll see the evolution. So it's a great marketing thing and it's a great, um, it's a great reminder for 500,000 people each year about the sort of stuff that happens outside their everyday life that actually... Um, that keeps the, the, the supermarkets going. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is a completely on the side, but I mean, you, you look back to March in the whole start of the COVID thing, the biggest issue was around was supermarkets and food. I mean, other than toilet paper, but it was food. <laughs> but it was food. It was, you know, the, the people even, never even stopped a bit, thought about the fact that actually um, there was a chance our food could stop at some stage. Yeah, and and then so a real real thought about well where where does our food come from? Um, how does it get to a supermarket? So, yeah, those sorts of issues have never been thought about before. So that so they're they're on people's radars now. So that whole food issue is um is 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 sort of front and center. Yeah, and it was really interesting actually. Back in oh, I reckon it was April, there was a young lady from um, WA and she wrote an article on LinkedIn and it was just bang on because she said, it's no wonder these consumers are so worried about food insecurity and not knowing if there's enough food because all they've seen on the media for the last few years has been 
drought and no food production, Australia in drought again. And it's just, yeah, it was, it was a very valid point that I suppose when you're involved in the industry, you see fast because you know what's happening. But for the average consumer that's out there, all they'd seen on, on all the mainstreams of media was drought, 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 and then all of a sudden food shortages. And it's no wonder that it did spark this. Yeah. Like, you know, then that's, and that's, um, in, it, drought pre- produces stories for yeah. um, media, particularly mainstream media, because they produce stories of hardship. They produce stories of, of um, communities. They produce stories of families that, that um, you know, people can say, look, you know, this is how, um, um, crook things are and then they produce things like you know let's get together and let's have telephones those sorts of things um um community fundraising events for it so they're sort of a a package of things so that yeah exactly drought drought steals a lot of limelight um in ag um and in i mean we need to we certainly need to look at drought and look at when people are struggling help help them out um, but there is a parts of, um, you know, the, you know, I look at um, New South Wales and, and Queensland last year and the, the terrible drought they've suffered over the last couple of years. But you very rarely hear about, about Western Australia, um, about their combination of, at that time, absolutely bumper um, wheat harvest and, and grains harvest over there combined with um, the record um, wool price at the time. I mean, in Western Australian farming, it was absolutely boom times. Um, but that you, you don't hear much about that story um, because the, the, those stories of hardship and drought are, are the things that, that sort of grab the attention. Yeah, absolutely. No, well, I reckon, um, I reckon I could just keep quizzing you with questions for hours, Ed, but I do have one <laughs> question which I've been asking people just on, on the Humans of Agriculture podcast more broadly, but it is around... Um, given your involvement in agriculture and it can be a bit more of a life experience piece as well. But if you're talking to students now in year 10 and 11, and they're starting to think of careers and opportunities beyond school, what would be your message of things to consider and why agriculture could potentially be an industry, which may open up doors of opportunity for them? Um, I'd say when you look at agriculture, don't look at the stereotypical image of agriculture. Because as we've seen um, over the last 30 years, the evolution of it, and look at things like the sorts of products that have been created, the sorts of branding opportunities, the sorts of um, the way that the, the labour in, intensity um, has changed in many aspects of it. To be a farmer now doesn't mean you have to go out to the back of nowhere and work every day on your own until you're 70 years old. It's, it's, it's no, it's not that sort of um, industry. There's really vibrant communities that are out there of people that will be your age, um, that will be your friends and will be your peers um, that will be involved in all sorts of things um, in these traditional areas, but also too, there's many aspects of agriculture that you can do sitting in a, in a high-rise building in the city as well that's part of the the agriculture process so it's it's not just agriculture is not just on the end of a shovel somewhere there's a lot of lot of different aspects to it yeah absolutely they could be sitting in in the office uh alongside yourself at the weekly times um, yeah. or, or in social media marketing they can be anywhere 
Not at the moment because you have to be in my shed. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, we'll uh, we'll get that campaign started, Ed, for to get you on a ride next year at oh, the Royal Melbourne Show. <laughs> But um, yeah, thank you very much for taking the time to chat and share some of your stories, but also perspectives. I think I've, I've loved this chat and um, yeah, it's a shame we can't be at the Royal Melbourne show this year, but thank you for taking the time. Uh, we'll, we'll get back there one day. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Ed. All right. Thanks, Ali. Ed points towards the end where he starts to talk about the different areas of agriculture and moving away from the stereotypes. He's just so insightful and it's one part that I really love and probably talk way too much about. Also on the front where he's starting to talk about the show and the way it's changing to make sure it remains relevant. It's not so much just about talking about farming in the paddock, it's about involving the whole process from paddock right through to plate. And so the consumers that are coming to the show can actually understand the role of the livestock and the cropping systems, then actually looking at what the end product is and how they're interacting with it as well. We've got one episode to go as part of our Royal Melbourne Show podcast. And so on Tuesday morning, I'll be bringing Jo Newton to the podcast to find out a bit more about her story, her incredible year receiving the Order of Australia and what's next for her. Looking forward to joining you then. See you Tuesday. Cheers.